Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. My guest today is Jill Twist. Jill is a former writer for Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, where she won Emmy and Peabody Awards and wrote A Day in the Life of Marlon Bundo, which makes me giggle. She's the author of the new children's book about voting called Everyone Gets a Say. Our story is about Marlon Bundo falling in love with another boy rabbit because our Marlon Bundo is gay, just like the real Marlon Bundo. My name is Nolan, and I think voting is where you vote for president and stuff and governor and... Yeah, stuff like that. Voting is where you want... is where you, um... It's where you write on a paper and you decide who should be, like, the governor or the president. But, 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 said Jitterbug, how do we choose that someone? Hi, I'm Jill Twist. I'm passionate about making sure our next generation is ready to continue the fight to make our world a better place. Sorry, not sorry. Hi, Jill. Thanks so much for being a part of the podcast You were a writer for last week tonight with John Oliver, which I am obsessed with that (laughs) show. I'm just curious, how did that evolve into you becoming a writer of books for children? Completely by accident is how it happened. I have long been obsessed with really good animals with really good names. So I was obsessed with Mike Pence's bunny, whose name is Marlon Bundo. Marlon Bundo has an Instagram that I loved. And what happened was one day we got a press release that said that the second family, the Pences, were going to write a book about Marlon Bundo. And for some reason, I felt like really territorial and mad. I was like, no, I want to write a book about Marlon (laughs) Bundo, which is objectively insane. But it's what I thought. So I pitched a book to the show. I said, well, what if we also write a children's book about Marlon Bundo? And weirdly, my bosses were like, okay, sure, write it. We had a quick meeting just deciding whether it was going to be like a real children's book or whether it was going to be sort of one of those adult books that like pretends to be a children's book. And we decided it would be nice to try to write a real children's book. And we agreed on basically nothing else. So we were (laughs) going to have further meetings. I left and just had this thought that like, you know what, it's going to be easier for John to figure out what he wants if I just give him something. So that way he can be like, oh, now that I see this, obviously not that. I want this or whatever. So I sat down for maybe two hours and I just wrote a book. And I turned it in and then they were like, great, that's it. We'll publish it. We changed a few words. I mean, obviously that wasn't the whole thing. They got an illustrator, they got a publisher, all of that stuff. But truly, it has never been that easy again. It never will be that easy. Right. (laughs) The idea of like writing something that I was positive no one would ever read made it just the funnest thing to write. I sort of went, oh, I really love this. I guess that writing children's books is something I actually really, really enjoy. Well, I can't stop laughing every time I even think about the book. It's so funny. But it's not really a comedy book for adults, right? It's a book about love and acceptance for kids. And it's just, 
absolutely so lovely. And when I think of great books for young kids, they tend to be great books for adults, too. Like writers like Shel Silverstein, who I grew up on, my kids call The Giving Tree the crying book because every time <laughs> I read it to them, they cry. Neil Gaiman, Mo Willems, all have written for young people in ways that capture the minds of adults, too. And you've done this with your books, and I think that's really, really special. Is that on purpose? Why is that so important to you? That is such a nice thing to say. And you just named some of my biggest heroes in the world. So please don't put me on that list. <laughs> but it's too late. You're there. I don't know if it's so much important to me as that I end up writing for kids the things that I want to say to adults. I think in a big way, kids are my greatest hope and have gotten me through a lot of the last four years. I feel like adults are really just unwilling to admit that they're wrong about things. There's not a lot of adults changing their opinions right now. Hopefully there were enough of them that things are going to change in the next four years. But as I would get so frustrated, the one thing that never frustrated me was kids. And so when I would think about, you know, my second book is called The Someone New, and it's about a new kid, basically. It's about a new snail in the forest. Jitterbug has never seen a snail before, and she likes it when things stay the same. But with help from her friends, Jitterbug just might realize that welcoming someone new isn't so scary. And that, even if they're new, friends feel like you've known them forever. And that was at the time when children were being separated from their parents at the border. And I was just sad all the time. And I didn't feel like I could change adults. I was trying. We were all doing our best, but like minds weren't changing. And I realized like, you know, who you can talk to kids. Kids are the ones who are going to fix all of this. So I don't know that I'm planning this, but I do know that like these are all not so secret messages to adults too. In 2017, when I was fighting for DACA and the Dreamers, I tell this story all the time. I went on a bus tour with some Dreamers to Republican offices in the state of California, which we do have Republican offices here. I know that's shocking. <laughs> but I told Milo, who is my son, who was six at the time, about Dreamers and DACA and sort of complicated it a little bit and made it about the policy. And they were trying to strip away, you know, way too heady for a six-year-old to even understand. It was a really hard day. We were followed all day by counter-protesters who got in my face. We ended up in a police station at one point. It was just a really rough day. And I walked into the house after, I don't know, I, we were out for maybe 14 hours. I walked into the house and Milo ran over to me and he hugged me and he grabbed my face and he said, did you do it, mama? Did you win? Do the dreamers get to stay home? Oh. And I thought, that's it. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as do the dreamers get to stay home. And I feel like we complicate things so much as adults, and it does become about the inner workings of the politics. But really, these issues, if you just talk to kids about them, they're just issues that are so human, and they bring it down to this like most basic level that is so beautiful. So I agree. Like Through the last four years, it's my kids that have given me so much hope and that have been able to go with the flow a lot more. 
with what is happening and they're so adaptable and curious about everything. Like, Mama, is that person on CNN, are they for Trump or are they for Joe Biden? Because to them, it's good versus evil, right? Like they have simplified it in a way that it's like they're the protagonist in one of their stories, in one of their books. And it's so really interesting. I want to talk about Everyone Gets a Say. Tell us about this book. Oh, sure. Everyone Gets a Say. It's about voting. Pudding was a quiet snail and did not like shouting. So when he woke up to the sounds of bellows and honks, he poked his head outside of his house, which was inside his other house. Lately, it seemed like Pudding's friends couldn't agree on anything. Today, they were trying to decide what to plant in a sunny patch of land, and it was not going well. I didn't think that this was a book that would speak to adults at all. I think they know most of the things about voting that I would say to kids. But really, I wanted to write something that teaches children that voting is a way that the quietest voice matters as much as the loudest voice. You know, when you're a kid, you really spend a lot of your time feeling like you're not listened to. And you're a kid. You shouldn't get to decide everything. You can't have Pop-Tarts and ice cream for dinner every night. But... You kind of want to know that there's hope, that there's going to be a way that things get decided. And so this introduces voting as a way that your voice can be heard. But weirdly, as we're going through post-election madness, I've sort of realized that like, well, no, I still do want to say to adults the same thing that I wanted to say to kids in this book, which is everybody gets their say and then you count the votes And a thing that you have to teach kids is like, just because things are fair doesn't mean you got what you wanted. That's a big thing about voting is we all sort of trade getting everything we want for the idea that everyone gets a say. So this is at its most basic level. It's a story about a bunch of animals who just can't agree on what to do in the forest. They're fighting about everything and they're trying to figure out who should be in charge. You know, should the fluffiest animal get to be the one that's the leader? Should it be the tallest animal? Should it be the fastest animal? The quietest animal actually is the one who says, what if everyone gets a say? What if everyone says who they want to be in charge? And then we count up who everyone wants to be in charge. And that is who gets to be in charge. And I feel like that's the thing I'm sort of explaining this week is like, yeah, that's what you do is you keep counting until you've counted everybody. And at different points in that process, it might look like a different person is winning. But once you count it all up, then everyone has had their say. And the people who didn't get what they want have to go, well, that was fair. And I accept the result. Whatever duffles and nudge the otters wanted, Geezer the Goose was absolutely against No plants, shouted Duffles. Just mud, continued Nudge, so we can slide big tummy slides into the lake. They finished together. Honk, 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 bellowed Geezer. I insist on vegetables and I do not care what anyone else has to say. It's funny because I have a series of middle school books and it's about a little activist named Hope. And the latest book was called Hope Project Class President. And it was really important to me to give kids a civics lesson within the story of Hope running for class president. And it's really sweet. She wants to change the world, but she has to go through middle school first. But it's like the older kid version of your book of Everyone Gets a Say. So I'm wondering why you felt 
I know why I felt it was important to teach kids about voting and activism, especially at a young age. Why did you feel it was so important to teach kids about voting and activism? particular book, it's actually, if I'm being perfectly honest, I didn't know what I wanted to say about voting for a long time. This was actually the opposite of Marlon Bondo. It took me forever to figure out what I wanted to say in this book. It happens to be with the same characters as the someone new. So I had to deal with my publisher to write this book. That is why I started writing this book. And I had a lot of other things that I thought I wanted to talk about. And I still want to write this book, but I wanted to write a book on sort of a fact-checking book for kids, how to learn that like not everything you read on a screen is true. Oh, that is so important. You know, even a four-year-old now has to start to learn like how to vet your sources. Just because someone said it doesn't mean it's a fact. (laughs) So true. We have to start so early. And that is something I want to do. But we knew the election was coming up and I wrote a bunch of stories about voting until I came on this one. And it was hard. I thought like, what does a five-year-old need to know about voting? Like they don't need to know it's your duty. It's not their duty to vote. They're five. They don't need to know about the electoral college. I feel like grownups shouldn't know about the electoral college. We have got to get rid of that. That's the thing. I think if you teach kids about the fairness, then they may be the ones to make things more fair in the future. Pudding had just begun to squish back into his shell when, did you know that bees have queens? Everyone got quiet. What, what, what? Asked Jitterbug. A queen bee is someone who leads the bees, said Toast. Whoa, said Jitterbug. Do we need a someone to bring us together? Yes, said Nudge, a someone to be our voice when we all have different voices, finished Duffles. What it came down to for me is, A, I knew when the book was coming out, and B, we've had a sense of, like, unfairness for so long and this sense that, like, our voices aren't being heard and things aren't changing. And I really wanted kids to have that hope and understand that, like, voting is a first step in making the big changes that you want to make. And I also wanted it to be that voting is one of the few things that is inherently fair and where the most powerful person and the least powerful person have the same say. And that's something that I think is wonderful about it. And I think if you teach kids the ideal version of that, they're going to fight for that ideal. Because we know, obviously, now that it's not quite like that, that the most powerful person and the least powerful person don't have exactly the same pull in politics. But like teaching the kids the way it should be, I think, is the first step to helping it become that way. Or at least that is my hope. I also think we just have to start teaching kids how things work at a younger age. It feels like we get to it so late. And then we wonder, how do we get the youth vote? 
It's like nobody thinks that they need to go vote because we don't have civics classes anymore in high school and we don't have debate teams. So why would they go out and vote? And also politicians aren't speaking directly to them. Do you get pushback from parents who think that you're trying to push liberal views like letting everyone vote onto their (laughs) kids? And how do you handle it if you do? I have certainly gotten some hate mail from Marlon Bundo and stuff like that, especially Marlon Bundo is about, I didn't say this before, but if you don't know what the book is about, it is about the vice president's bunny falling in love with another boy bunny and a stink bug won't let them get married. Hello, my name is Marlon Bundo and I am a bunny. This is the story of my very special day. As usual, after breakfast, I hopped to the garden to look at the flowers. That is when I saw him, the most beautiful bunny I had ever seen. It's very on the nose. Mike Pence is someone who has been obviously anti-gay marriage and has not been an accepting person. And I didn't feel even a little bit bad about it. But that is a hot button issue. And I've gotten some hate mail about it. I think that comes with the nature of something being widespread. That just means a lot of people have heard about it. Yeah, and also taking a position, right? I think so many people are so wishy-washy now because they're terrified to alienate part of their audience or their readers or whatever it is. And I get really annoyed when people don't stand for something, especially when things have been so blatantly obvious as the injustices that we've seen in the last four years. It's like, pick a fucking side, you know? And this idea of playing down the middle, I feel like just validates what the other side is doing rather than standing up and saying, you know what? No, it is not okay to separate children from their parents. It is not okay to discriminate based on sexual preference or gender identity. It is not okay, whatever it might be, to say that there are good people on both sides. We need to define what is right and wrong and go back to basically shaming people that don't have the view that equality is something worth fighting for. To me, I think that you can sort of frame it by what they're saying back to you. And that's the crux of like what you're arguing. You know, Marlon Bundo is arguing that what makes you different is what makes you special. The someone new is arguing that new can be scary, but that kindness is stronger than fear. New things can be kind of scary like a new food, but it might turn out that you love it. That's delicious, dude. And if you want to come back and say, like, no, you should be scared of new things and not be kind, I guess we can have that talk. (laughs) But, like, listen to yourself. If you're reading a book that says we should count every vote, everyone should have a say, and you're going, this is indoctrinating children, that's on you. Like, that's not about what I just wrote. I think I'm writing universally accepted themes. For me, the someone new is about, like, trying a new food. Like, right. You just thought you had what foods you liked figured out. 
But it turns out, hey, it opened up my world a little bit. Like kids are encountering new things all the time. I mean, I was writing comedy for last week tonight before this. No one is unclear about my beliefs or my politics. And I don't feel terrible if someone hates my books. I'm not writing for bigots. I'm just not. That's not who these books are for. And it is totally cool with me if that is not what they want to buy. Oh, I love it. I want to talk to you about this year's election. We are recording this just a few days after Biden was declared the winner. And the current occupant of the White House still has not conceded. So how do you think that we should be talking to our kids about this part of the process? Weirdly, I think this is the same issue for kids as it is for adults. Like you have to explain to kids that it's really important that you count all the votes that while you're counting, it can sometimes look like someone's winning. And then when you count more, it looks like someone else is winning. That's just what counting means. And we need to teach kids that voting doesn't mean that you get what you want. Voting means that you get a say. That's all it means. And so It's hard to watch this happen, but I think the kids can understand it better than anyone. Obviously, you're not going to stop before you've counted all the votes. Nobody who wants what is right and best for America would ever suggest that that happens. No one would ever suggest that you throw out a bunch of ballots. And that because there's two different sides, somebody's not going to be happy with the result. And yet you have to do it anyway. The friends had finally found something they all agreed on until... But, 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 said Jitterbug, how do we choose that someone? Maybe the someone who is in charge, interrupted Nudge, should be the someone who is the tallest, finished Duffles. What if we started pudding, but no one listened? Do you think that there are good ways to talk about losing elections to children? Yeah, I think it's a great time to talk to kids about how to lose gracefully. Not getting what you want and handling it well. I don't know that there's anything better you can teach your kid than how to be the kind of person who can be resilient and who can not get what they want and be okay. And I think, honestly, we are seeing the toddler tantrums of a man who was never taught that. And it's crazy that it can affect an entire country that Donald Trump was never taught how to not get what he wants and be okay. But like teaching your kids that is one of the kindest things you can do for your kid and for the world around your kid. And it sucks. Like it's so bad to not get the thing you want, especially when you really, really want it. And you have to learn to go, well, them's the breaks. I'm not going to get everything I want. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep trying. That's what the world is. This is why I have my kids in team sports, right? So they learn how to lose gracefully. And I think it's so important.
Right now, things are so divided because there's a threat of violence from some people around the election. And we've seen in the news a lot of stories like the kidnapping plot against Governor Whitmer or the Boogaloo boys or the proud boy, whatever. And it's all tied up in the election. And I'm my fear is that kids are seeing and hearing some of these stories if they're passing the living room or on the radio, if you're not conscious of what you're listening to. So do you think that we've made participation in the process scary for kids? No. I don't think that. I don't think we've made it anything, first of all. I think it's important to distinguish what other people are doing from what our side is doing. But I think weirdly, again, what I would want to tell kids is what I want to tell adults right now, which is, although it feels like there's a lot of people like that because you're hearing about them a lot, it's actually a really small group of people. I mean, Joe Biden won dramatically. There are so many more people who wanted the election to go this way. And so I think that if we're scared, kids are scared. And kids are certainly like hyper aware of how their parents feel. But like, I do feel like I want to tell parents that things are going to be okay in the same way I want to tell kids that like, we actually got the most votes. We have people that are throwing tantrums, but it's so many fewer people than we feel like it is just because we're hearing so much about those people. And then we actually have someone who is taking over who is very calm and who is very capable of dealing with this and has a set of people helping him who know exactly what they're doing. And so it's just going to feel like people are yelling for a while and then it's going to be okay. I mean, young kids, and and I should say that your books are really beautiful picture books, but young kids are so easily engaged in great stories and in great art. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on how you think we keep these kids interested and involved in being part of the political process as they get older. First, because you said it, I want to shout out my illustrator, E.G. Keller, who is just the best. Hi, my name is E.G. Keller. I am the illustrator of The Someone New by Jill Twist. Well, I wanted to be part of this project because it was another opportunity to work with Jill Twist. She did such a good job with Marlon Bundo. Uh, She has a wonderful sense of humor. And it's another opportunity to address an issue that is impacting our society today and I think will impact it for quite a while. I've gotten to work with him on all three books, which is not, I think, typical. It's crazy that my publishers have let me do it. He lives in Colorado. So we wrote two books together before we ever met. And he just every time surprises me with how funny and how heartful and how great all of his illustrations are. I know that didn't answer your question. No, I appreciate that you took advantage of that opportunity to give him a shout out. They really are beautiful books. And now I'm going to forget your questions. It's how to keep kids engaged in the political process. Yeah, as they get older. Right. First of all, I should say like straight out that I don't have kids. So I absolutely a thousand percent don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And I feel like that's important to share. I remember telling my publisher that at the very beginning, I said, just, you know, like, I don't know how kids work. I don't have any children. And she was like, thank goodness. People without kids are usually the best picture book writers because parents are so sentimental. And so 
my answers might not be true. But my guess is that we just have to tell better stories. We just have to tell more interesting stories. And kids really do have an innate sense of fairness and of right and wrong. And I think you just have to remind them that that's what this is about. I was a kid that would say like, that's not fair, like 42 times a day. And you just have to sort of remind them that like, that's this process. That's what we have in America is we have a way to make it fair. But the only way we do it is if everyone's involved. If you're not involved, well, then there's nothing fair about it because someone else is going to be making all those decisions for you. But yes, I think the thing is sort of as we figured out with Marlon Bundo or whatever, kids know when you're just trying to teach them something with like some sugar on top and they're not going to fall for it. So you have to give them a genuinely interesting story. And I think you have to genuinely respect them and think the same things are funny that they think are funny. And you really have to enjoy it. They can feel when they're being talked down to. And I don't think that's what any of this should be for. For sure. And I think that that goes for even films or television shows all the way up through teenage years. I mean, I think part of the reason why I love John Hughes movies so much is because the young people spoke like adults and the adults were like big babies. So I think that that's true for maybe all of art. But I just think it's so fascinating. And do you have a theory on why young people vote at lower rates than other groups? I mean, just from the little I've heard and read and from thinking about what I was like as an 18-year-old, I think you feel like your vote doesn't matter. It's a self-perpetuating cycle, which is that they don't vote. So then politicians don't target them. They don't speak to them. They don't speak to their issues. There's a reason that politicians are talking to old people 24-7, and it's because they vote. And so I think kids feel like they are not part of the political process and they're correct. Things are not being targeted to them. I remember being told just as I sort of watched the conventions and stuff like that, and I noticed that like a lot of young people didn't like it and it just felt like old fuddy-duddy and the technology wasn't great. And someone told me, well, you know what? It's not for you. It's not for them, which feels bad. But I sort of realized Oh, yeah. Like we have a bunch of 73 year olds who are going out and voting in every single election. And until we can match that, that's who the ads are going to be targeting. That's who the messages are going to be targeting. That said, I think politicians have to stop doing that. Yeah. And there's so many issues that impact young people like climate change, like gun violence that would keep them or at least try to keep them engaged in the process through a cycle. Everyone gets a say. That means that you say who you want to be in charge, said Pudding. And then I say who I want to be in charge. And Duffles and Nudge and Geezer and Toast say who they want to be in charge. Whoa, said Jitterbug. That is a lot, lot, lot of saying. And if after everyone gets their say, we count. And whichever someone most of us wants to be in charge, added Pudding, is in charge. I was reminded the other day about how Barack Obama in 2008 actually went on MTV and did a town hall. Now, of course, MTV doesn't really exist anymore, and there is no forum for that anymore unless you did a TikTok town hall or I I don't even know what that (laughs) looks like nowadays. I'm sure it's an app that we're not even on. Yeah, exactly. 
But I, I think that we're missing a real big opportunity. And, and young people came out this election, and that was great. And I think what we saw was really interesting, which was young people didn't decide who they were going to vote for until the ticket was set. And I think that that was because young people were just too young to even remember the participation that Biden had in the Obama presidency. Like if they're anywhere between 18 to 20 this election, that meant they were like 14 to 16. So I think it was about Biden really having to be introduced to young people. And that took the young activists that we have, the amazing young activists that that we have with the March for Our Lives kids and Greta and all of these young kids that created Prom at the Polls and, you know, just a whole generation who introduced Biden to the younger generation. And that I thought was really, really powerful and really cool. And again, this goes back to what we said in the beginning of the interview, which is that young people give us hope. Yeah, I don't feel worried. I mean, obviously, I feel worried in any given election about young people coming out to vote. But I do feel just like they are every time I in some way get involved with kids or teenagers or 20 year olds, I just feel like, oh, like we're going to be fine. These are people who absolutely are standing up for what they want. We need to learn to speak more to them, but also they're going to lead. And they're already leading. I remember that AOC had, I don't know, was it a campaign event that she had on Twitch? Or maybe it was just during her campaign. No, it was it was a voter registration drive. Oh, yeah. And she wound up registering like 100,000 young people that night. 500,000 kids tuned <laughs> into her playing uh, that game that my son keeps begging me to play. And I don't understand it at all. It's just like little people walking from room to room and someone's the killer and then someone's the imposter. And it's like, like I play it, but I don't know what I'm doing. And there she is on Twitch. And that goes to the thing of you need to find them where they're at. That's not only physically finding them where they are, but also mentally going to where they are. You know, how I teach my nine-year-old is very different than how I teach my six-year-old. Right. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I think we need to take their opinion seriously. It is odd and not ideal that our government is as old as it is right now. And I think maybe the good part of that is, is there will have to be a genuine generational change because there's not a wide variety. And man, we have a lot of people (laughs) who are just generations away from the people who are actually making a difference in the world right now. And so that's on us. But I agree that you have to go where they are. I mean, I have had, I think, the luck of never being cool. So I don't feel like getting older made me less understand what was cool because I just never, I never got it. I was never in. So it makes just as much sense to me now as it ever did. But it is just so nice to see. And I love that, like, so much of what is great about kids now is that they're just demanding so much more of us and of each other. But it's just nice to see kids who grew up learning that different was good, owning who they are, and then just demanding to be accepted by us. You know, I love kids going into a workplace and being like, hey, here's my pronouns. Here's what I expect to be called. I would like to be paid on time. I would like to be. Yeah. It's just I think it's just a great thing. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Do you guys know anything about politics? 
Uh, no. Uh, probably pretty soon. You know what I mean, like presidents and mayors and those kinds of people. Mm-hmm. Politics. You know, like the bosses of this world, basically. Pretty much. Why do they fight with each other so much? Oh, because they don't agree with yeah. each other, including including Russia and USA in the old days. Yeah, they did not they did not like each other. No, Rocky Four, man. So, like politicians argue with each other, adults argue with each other. Why do you think adults politicians complain so much? To make things right, I guess. Is there anything more important for our future than educating and exciting kids about voting? There are so many problems in our country that will affect them for decades, and yet young voters turn out at rates below the national average. It breaks my heart because it gives away all of their power. And we don't do a good enough job involving them in the process, explaining to them why it matters or even how to go about voting. That, combined with long ballots and convoluted language about ballot initiatives, difficulty finding out good information about state and local candidates, and all the craziness around national elections, we've made accessing that power so hard for young people. And it's one of the reasons why I work so hard on my Hope book series and why books like Jill's are critical to the future of our nation. Teaching kids from a very young age about engagement in the political world and connecting that engagement to what happens in their lives will transform the future. So parents, please talk to your kids about voting. Take them to the polls with you, involve them in the whole process from picking your candidates to getting educated about the issues on your ballot. Make it part of the fabric of your family. Voting is how we take care of each other. Help your kids see that and the world will be better for it. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our associate producer is Ben Jackson. Editing and engineering by Natasha Jacobs. And music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bugliari. That's my boy. Please subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry.